0: This is the Mayor Greg Fisher Podcast. I'm Graham Shelby. I work in the mayor's office. Joined now by
1: the 50th mayor of Louisville, Greg Fisher, Mayor. Always good to be with you, Graham.
0: Thank you. Now, right now, this is a real boom time for Louisville in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we talk about this a lot. 71,000 private sector jobs in the last six years. 2,500 new businesses. $11 billion. $11 billion in capital investment. But one of the things you continually talk about is how important it is that this prosperity and the opportunities that go along with it spread to every corner of the city. And so that's why today we're focusing on what's happening in West Louisville, because there's a lot going on in West Louisville. But before we talk numbers and data and programs, I want to ask, tell me about your personal connection to West Louisville that predates your time as mayor.
1: Sure. My, uh, well, my family history is rooted in West Louisville. Uh, my mom and dad both grew up uh, in West Louisville. Uh, my dad at Herman and Cecil. And he was a poor kid that uh, started caddying at Shawnee Golf Course at the age of eight, which led him to become one of the greatest golfers to ever come out of Kentucky, which got him a college scholarship. So he was the first kid in his family of eight to get a college, to be able to go to college. So that obviously changed my whole life. Uh, he met my mom at the Chumba Club at uh, St. Columba, one of the many Catholic churches in West Louisville at that time. Uh, When they were in the 8th grade, uh, my mom lived on the uh, south side of of Broadway, and her dad had a drugstore at 38th and Broadway, Hardesty Drugstore. So as a kid, I was constantly moving in and out uh, around West Louisville with my grandfather, who I miss dearly. So West Louisville to me is integral to the city. It's part of who I am and where I grew up, and there is no divide for me in this city.
0: Um, put something you remember. Uh, tell us, just share a memory, a specific
1: memory of a time when you were a kid visiting West <laughs> Uh Well, I would always go down to uh, with my grandfather and uh, help take care of this property where, where his drugstore was at 38th and Broadway. So my job as a young kid was to cut the backyard and make sure everything was looking good. Uh, but then when I was with him, I would see all the people that he would interact with uh, because he was at that spot for a long time as a, as a drugstore. So all the faces of West Louisville he interacted with one of the great things when I was growing up my with my mom and dad and my grandparents was uh, everybody were their friend everybody was their friends, white, black, poor, rich and uh, I just those were some of the moments I looked forward to. I mean, most everybody loves their grandfather, you know so when he would come and get me and say, okay, we're going to go down and cut the grass." Uh, most people don't get real excited about that, but I knew I was in for an adventure, no matter what it was, so I always looked forward to that.
0: What a lot of folks in—I th- I think it's no secret that a lot of folks in Louisville, as one consequence of being a city of neighborhoods, is some folks don't venture as far outside their neighborhoods as we might like them to. What are some things that people who may not have spent a lot of time in West Louisville that you would like them to know about this part of the city?
1: Well, West Louisville is 60,000-plus people, so if it was its own city, it would be the fourth biggest city in, in Kentucky, so most people don't realize the scope of it. Uh, and the beauty of West Louisville is in its neighborhood, but there's nine neighborhoods in West Louisville, so you've got to think about the neighborhoods individually. Obviously, the work that Olmstead did in terms of our parkways and our parks is alive and well in West Louisville when you see Northwestern Parkway as an example, Shawnee Park, Chickasaw Park. Uh, diversity in West Louisville in terms of housing type of housing it, when when planners are developing cities today they want great walkable neighborhoods uh, with churches retail front porch living that's what West Louisville is and was today you know so we don't have to remake West Louisville we have to re-energize West Louisville and make sure that the people that live in West Louisville today uh, can, stay in West Louisville, can thrive in West Louisville, because now we're starting to see unprecedented investment coming into West Louisville, and we wanna make sure that this works out well for everybody.
0: Talk a little about that. So in the past year, there've been quite a few big development announcements happening in West Louisville. Take us through some of the major ones. Well,
1: there's about $800 million of capital investment either underway or announced for West Louisville. And let's say when we start at the river and move south, Waterfront Park Phase 4 will be from 9th to 13th Streets. Now, it's going to be a little while before that gets started because MSD is doing a big project there right now. That will be completed around 2022. The biggest project is underway right now, and that's the Choice Neighborhood Project for Russell, specifically focused on Beecher Terrace. That project is a result of a federal competition that we won, a $29.5 million federal grant that will leverage up- to $250 million, $300 million development, mixed income, mixed use in the Beecher Terrace, Russell neighborhood. So that will be a massive redevelopment that people will see right on the uh, west side of 9th Street. 18th and Broadway, really exciting redevelopment going on there. On the east side will be the new YMCA complex. On the west side is Passport's uh, new headquarters that will be initially 500 jobs. That will probably ramp up maybe to twice that. As well, And then our first ever bus rapid transit system will be running up and down 18th Street and Dixie Highway as well. So when you think about 18th and Broadway right now, it's, it's pretty desolate. Three years from now, it's going to be a booming spot for our city that will be attracting retail, restaurants, etc. to that. Chef Space has been incredible on um, Muhammad Ali in terms of food entrepreneurism that's taking place there. Of course, the Kentucky uh, Center for African American Heritage, Heritage is not part of the 800 million, but it's kind of been the anchor for us in terms of West Louisville, in terms of activities going in and around there. And we've got mixed. Uh, we've got uh, market rate housing taking place over on Cedar Street. We have corporate headquarters moving to West Louisville, like facilities and management services, Heine Brothers, Interact. We're seeing food movement increasing. We're seeing more local food activity. Uh, In West Louisville, we're seeing a renaissance in the arts in West Louisville uh, with the Tim Faulkner Gallery, Louisville Visual Arts, 1619 Flux Arts and Activism. So it's fun. I think $800 million is the total what we're talking about. As far as I can tell, that's probably the most investment in West Louisville that's taken place since the flood of 1937. So think about the decline since then and now, all the money that's going back in. So I'm very bullish and excited on the future of West Louisville. You talked about the history. Uh, in
0: another area of West little where you specifically talk about history a lot is with Russell. And the you mentioned the Russell Project. Talk about how the history of that neighborhood specifically plays into what's planned for the future.
1: Russell neighborhood was known as the Harlem of the South uh, back in the day. So we're talking 1940s, 50s, 60s. Uh, and then the big mistake of urban renewal came through the United States of America. So for many cities in our country, uh, areas that were predominantly populated by African-Americans, African-American-owned businesses, uh, et cetera, were basically removed. So think about having a thriving district in our city, primarily uh, black-owned businesses, that then, in the wisdom of the federal government of that day, said, well, we need to remove these areas because they're getting in the way of growth. It was a terrible, really institutionally racist policy that took place Uh Think about if that vibrancy had continued and the importance of black-owned businesses in particular because that is the engine to grow wealth along with homeownership, that's gone. And that has been a big blight on our city and other cities in this country as well. I'd like for everybody to listen to a former mayor, Charles Farnsley. This urban renewal did not happen on his watch, but this is him describing what happened as a result of urban renewal.
2: Approaching the area that was cleared by urban renewal. From here on west, for maybe a three quarters of a mile in each direction, was almost all torn down by urban redevelopment. See, it, this was all just solid build up small, and modest brick houses and brick stores. There are a few churches left, a few things, and there are many new buildings and a lot of open space. As you can see, a lot of it hasn't been built on. Nobody knows what's going to happen there. Uh, at least a few of the urban renewal types, the establishment types that promoted it, their motive was, as they told me, to drive the Negro back from the central area. They felt that way downtown wouldn't become the Black Belt. Uh, it was a childish idea because the streets are still open and it it was a cruel thing. Well, later, as you all know, urban Urban renewal was called Negro removal by the Negroes and by the people who were sympathetic with them. And that's what it was. It almost always tore down the homes of black people or poor people.
0: That's an interview that KET did with former Louisville Mayor Charles Farnsley in the early 1970s talking about urban renewal. That's a a clip that you've been using in speeches around town to talk about the history of urban renewal and of... uh, government policies and institutional policies, and how it's affected
1: neighborhoods in West Louisville. Well, and the reason why is I'm trying to get people to understand how the legacies of a lot of these policies still linger with us today. Uh, When we take a look at the wealth cap and income gap in our city and our country, uh, the average white family's net worth is $100,000. The average black family's net worth is $10,000. Why? Most people's wealth is built in their homes. There was a practice called redlining, again, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s in our country that if you lived in a part of a town that was redlined, literally had a red line drawn around it on a map, banks would not lend or provide mortgages. And usually in those areas, they were predominantly African-American families. So they never had the opportunity to get their wealth up like the white families. People need to understand that today. So when we talk about issues like digital redlining, that is the availability of high-speed Internet at low cost. That has to be everywhere in our city, and you'll see that our carriers are stepping up and doing that, specifically when Google Fiber started hooking up homes in the city. They launched in Portland and Newburgh as a result of our request to say, hey, please help us with our digital inclusion strategy. So people need to understand kind of the history of our country and how there are elements of our history we have to recognize uh, were not right. We wouldn't be doing them today, and we have to correct any injustices of the past as we look to the future. And it's important that people understand that so that they can understand that we're all in this together. I think some people
0: might hear that and think that you're trying to play on guilt or make people feel guilty about the actions of the past, but you've, you've said that's not what you're going
1: for. No, because... Uh, people weren't alive then. They didn't participate in it then, but when we talk about issues uh, that people struggle with to this day, they need to understand kind of the roots of that struggle so that they can be more open-minded about what the possibilities to move forward are. One of the points I emphasize is people should not feel guilty. They weren't participating in any of these practices, but we have to understand the past so we can move to the future. Um.
0: Talk a little bit about how how does lifting up West Louisville
1: what role does that play in lifting up the city generally Well, when one part of our city wins, everybody wins. Think about poverty, for instance. If you could move the if you could move people in poverty up to the median wage in our city, you would create an additional economy of over 1 billion dollars a year. That's good for everybody, right? So that's one issue behind it. The second is workforce. We have 30,000 open jobs in our community right now. So not only do we need more people to move here, we also need to upskill the people that live in our community. So that's an issue for today, but it's also an issue for our future workforce. So it's important for everybody in all parts of our city to be doing well, and that's a win for the entire city of Louisville. And one of the things you've been urging people to do is to get involved in the lives of young people,
0: to be mentors and to volunteer, and part of that is uh, that's – one aspect of your violence prevention action plan. Talk about how those efforts relate to economic
1: development, especially in West Louisville. Well, economic development means jobs, and jobs mean stable, productive lives, and that's citizens reaching their full human potential. But you have to have a skill so that you're employable. A uh, lot of kids have not had a productive role model that's saying, hey, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to have high expectations for you, and I'm gonna provide some structure and I'm gonna provide some accountability behind that as well. Mentoring does that. And we see the success that comes with mentoring at Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We see it in our reimage program. Reimage deals with kids that have been involved with the courts between the ages of sixteen to twenty four, not a serious brush with the law, but just somebody that needs to get back on track. We have had two hundred and fifty young folks go through reimage. Our recidivism rate from reimage is only five percent. Phenomenal results. It shows you the impact that a mentor can have.
0: Now, you were an entrepreneur before you became mayor, and I know you're wanting to grow entrepreneurship in West Louisville. What is your pitch to
1: entrepreneurs? Uh, to get them to open a small business. In West well, Louisville. first, I'm still an entrepreneur. Okay, I'm just <laughs> a government public service entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. If if I'm looking at West Louisville right now as a place for opportunity, and I see there's 800 million dollars of investment that's going to be taking place in West Louisville over these next several years, I'm asking myself where are the spots where services uh, are going to be needed, and how can I position myself to be in that spot? Uh, th- take the 18th and Broadway corridor, for instance. Right now, it's pretty quiet there. Three years from now, when all the construction is going to be done, it's going to be a beehive of activity. That means there's going to be a need for services or retail or restaurants there. So I'd be looking at that if I was an entrepreneur right now. If you need help uh, in terms of uh, business planning, uh, loans, et cetera, the NIA Center exists uh, for that. Develop uh, Louisville also exists for that. Louisville Forward. These are government ways that you can uh, get some assistance and some advice from public and private sector partners. Uh, and one thing I want to focus on in West Louisville, too, is we're trying to increase wealth in our African-American families. One of the ways to do that is through black-owned businesses. So it's important for folks to get involved with a good business plan, good mentoring, good financing package, so that they can have a successful business. Um so, Mayor, I can imagine people who
0: live in West Louisville who will hear this and think, you know, $800 million, that, that sounds great, but how is that going to help me? What can, what's that going to mean for me specifically? What are the opportunities that
1: this is going to offer me? You can go everywhere from how does this fit my career goals to, hey, we're going to have a great new park in West Louisville with Waterfront Park uh, Phase 4. From the job standpoint, uh, the Urban League is an important partner of ours uh, on this effort, so a lot of job training initiatives going on. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of construction taking place as well, so multiple construction uh, training programs also to get involved with. The NIA Center is this one-stop shop for both training and entrepreneurship. Uh, When you think about the YMCA and what that means in terms of a great community asset to keep our youth busy, when you're seeing the expanded programming that we have in our community centers. I mean, all of this says, boy, this is going to be a more vibrant place to live, and so how do I fit in? There's multiple ways to to get involved in the future of West Louisville. Mm All right, Mayor. Thank you very much. Always good to be with you. It's an exciting time in the city. We're joined now by Gina Dunlap.
0: She is the Director of Redevelopment Strategies for Louisville Forward. Gina, thanks for joining us.
3: Glad to be here.
0: Gina, first, just tell us what your job title means.
3: So, redevelopment, what is it? Um, when you think about revitalization, uh, you think about rehabilitation, uh, reuse, all of these words sort of um, play into the the larger scheme of redevelopment. So, taking something that is, reshaping it, reforming it into something new and hopefully better. What? Um, My background um, is in community development, um, which also is, you know, can be defined very broadly, but um, thinking about housing, thinking about the built environment, uh, thinking about real estate, zoning, and everything that plays into how our physical environment serves us as individuals is all part of redevelopment. So we focus on being strategic in our redevelopment efforts, um, right now, um, we're defining um, a strategy for the Russell neighborhood, um, hoping to 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 pull out the very best parts and elements of what that neighborhood has to offer physically, um, recasting that, um, and then making sure that that people are engaging um, with that environment in the very best way possible.
0: Okay. So how much of your job focuses on West Louisville?
3: Um, My job really focuses on Russell. Um, And part of that is the momentum that we have behind Choice Neighborhoods and a lot of other initiatives that were already in play. When we took a step back and looked at um, sort of the broader scheme of things, we realized we had a lot of momentum happening in Russell. And so... Um, Prior to taking on this position, um, yes, I would say that uh, the majority of my job was focused on areas um, all around West Louisville. Um, But we decided that we needed to have more of a singular focus, um, somebody that was dedicated. um, The majority of their time trying to pull together um, various stakeholders inside and outside of government to ensure that at the neighborhood level that we're getting tangible visible results. So right now I'm very focused, almost singularly focused on pulling together everything that's happening in the Russell neighborhood. Okay.
0: For folks who may not be, may not have a map uh, in their heads of it, tell us where like the boundaries of the
3: Russell neighborhood. The Russell is one of the largest um, recognized neighborhoods in the city, but uh, its eastern boundary is 9th Street or where Wilkins Boulevard. On the west side, the um, down to about 30th, 32nd Street. Um, um, it sort of coincides with uh, the uh, railroad line uh, that parallels the Waterson Expressway in, in West Louisville. On the northern side, it's Market Street, right across from the Portland neighborhood. And on the southern border, it's Broadway. And you
0: lived in the neighborhood at some point when you were a kid, is that right?
3: Oh, yes, yes. Tell us about that. Um, I think... Um, at one point, my, my my family generally grew up in the Parkland neighborhood, um, but there was a time when uh, my mom and I, uh, she was a single parent, um, we found an apartment in the Russell neighborhood. It was an old historic um, mixed-use building, as we would call it from a planning perspective. So, what does that mean? Um, business, commercial on the first level with residential um, housing above, or in our case, um, our apartment was on the rear. Um, side of this building on a uh, very cool brick alley um, on Chestnut Street, and I really loved living there because um, all of the houses were large and historic, and there were some pretty um, amazing people that lived in the same block. So, if uh, you're familiar with uh, Louisville, and Kentucky history, you may have heard of May Street Kid, um, who um, served. Um, uh, in the general assembly, one of the first African American women, um, to do so. Um, she was also noted as, um, she worked for Mammoth Life Insurance Company, which is one of the only insurance companies that would insure African Americans at the time. And she was a really good representative, but she also, um, uh, proposed the legislation that created the Kentucky Housing Corporation. So, um, she was a pretty impressive woman um, by her credentials and accomplishments, um, but she was also quite beautiful. And so I would always, you know, run into her, carrying her groceries in. And at the time, I didn't really understand who she was or what impact that she had. But over the years, I I think it's really special that I got to experience one of our local legends um, in person. And that, in large part, has to do um, a lot with the Russell Neighborhood. Um, A lot of legends um, made their mark in Russell, um, resided in Russell. um, And to a certain degree, um, you know, a lot of the the black middle class, the teaching um, people, the teaching professions, doctors, lawyers, a lot of what might be considered the black bourgeoisie or middle class um, resided um, in the Russell. And that contributes a lot to its heritage and legacy, too.
0: So part of your job uh, has, has been to create and uh, present information about redlining and the history of redlining in Louisville. That's one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years that I know you've done quite a bit of. Did, what did you learn about the history of your own neighborhood, the, or the neighborhood that you had grown up in from doing that work? And how did that affect the way you perceived your own childhood?
3: So, we launched the Redlining Louisville Project in February of 2017. Um, and it is an interactive story map that people can access online, uh, especially if they go to the Redevelopment Strategies webpage. Um, so, I guess that's an interesting question. Um, my childhood, um, you know, living in parts of the community that were disinvested. You know, I lived that as a child. I often tell people that there are some vacant or abandoned buildings um, that exist today that were in that same state of disrepair when I was a child. So I I really, I guess, came out of my childhood and, um, and schooling trying to understand how it got that way, because when you talk to baby boomers or people of a certain age, they tell stories that are quite different than what I experienced um, as a 70s baby, a child of the 70s. They talked about old Walnut Street and the entertainment, the theaters, the businesses. You know, we've seen the archival photos. um, And I just knew that was very different um, from what I experienced as a child living in you know the same neighborhood. So, I guess when I first uh, met Joshua Poe, um, was an independent researcher who actually put the project um, together um, at the urging um, of Dr. B- the late Dr. Blaine Hudson. Um, I recognized that it could shed a lot of light on questions. Um, that i have been, you know, pondering for a long time, um, both as a resident and as an, econo- um, an economist and, and a scholar. And um, I guess... Questions like what? Why we see what we see. So, for example, um, my relatives um, used to talk about the difficulty in getting loans, and uh, from getting financed, um, there was obviously a shortage of, of businesses, and, and that got worse over time. But, you know, people talked about, you know, the man. And, you know, you hear people talk about conspiracy theory. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, I mean, you might add a little truth to that or, or think that that's, um, you know, maybe just, just um, um, you know, urban legend. When I actually saw the memorandums and the documentation in black and white that had been classified documents held at the National Archives and read them and saw that this was not um, an unintended consequence, but that this was very deliberate in terms of managing and controlling access to capital for people based on where they lived and what they looked like, um, that was um, a life-changing uh, moment in time for me to see the actual documentation, to see the methodology, the policy in writing, and knowing the impact that it had um, and particularly changing the the tone and tenure of the neighborhoods that I grew up in and the communities that I grew up in. So
0: take, I, I can imagine um, take us through that what what redlining was and how it worked here in Louisville.
3: So, redlining happened all across the United States um in the late 1930s. Uh, the federal government wanted to you know, boost the economy and they saw home ownership promoting home ownership as a way to do that. Um but they also realized that they needed to partner with the banking community and and financial institutions. And one of the things that drives financial institutions in their decision-making is managing risk. So they set about to help banks manage risk by recruiting local real estate professionals in all of the major cities at that time to go through their respective cities and evaluate or assess um, conditions of the neighborhood. And they use a lot of parameters that we would still use today as best practice. Um, but two things that, um, that uh, they particularly use that we don't use anymore are, you know, looking at the nature of the people, the race, the ethnicity, um, their, you know, country of origin. Um, and then they also looked at Uh, the prevalence of what we call racial restrictions or racial covenants. So in effect, if an area did not have racial covenants that restricted black people or people of color from living in that area, they rated that the lowest grade possible for mortgage credit or a D, or they colored the area red saying this is an area to avoid making loans in. Um, And so it, it coincided that whether you were a poorly restricted area, or there were lots of um, African Americans or immigrants or the potential for there to be more mixing of the races and mixing of the classes, that was frowned upon. And um, financial institutions were discouraged um, from making loans or providing access to capital in those areas. Conversely, um, in areas where there were lots of racial covenants or race restrictions on the land that um, precluded any one of color ever living um, on that property, those were the areas that um, um, banks were encouraged to make loans and provide access to mortgage capital. So that's that's where the the term redlining comes from um, in terms of drawing those boundaries around areas. And uh, discouraging loans by color coding that degrade or red. Um, you mentioned racial covenants.
0: Tell me exactly how those, what those were, and how those worked. Were they legal things? Were they part of the, from the banking industry itself, or
3: um, it's actually um, real estate practice um, to this day. Um, you know, when you talk about, um, I guess, land use planning and zoning. You know those are regulatory provisions that govern what can happen in any location. So if um, an area is zoned residential um, or zoned commercial, um, it lays out the parameters of what can happen there. What types of activities um, are allowed to happen at that location? And so a precursor of some of the zoning and form district rules that we have in our land development code, um, a precursor to that was racial restriction. So it's a form of use restriction that says, um, in this case, if you are black, you cannot be here. You cannot live here, right? So, um, you know, and it it was, I guess, um, legally enforceable at one time. And it originated
0: with the zoning commission?
3: No, no. So deeds, when you think about land um uh, land records Mm -hmm. you know so we have deeds and deeds spell out who the owner is where they got it from um sort of parallel to a deed um like say for example think about a mortgage a mortgage gets recorded in um you know the land records but it's separate from a deed it shows that somebody has an ownership interest in the property okay so let's take that a step further you can have use restrictions that get recorded in land records that say for everybody to see and verify what can or cannot happen at a particular location and what should or should not be happening at a particular location. So, this predates, like, you know, planning commission, mm-hmm. the whole discipline of planning didn't necessarily exist, per se, at this time. So these are land records that govern what happens on or on particular sites.
0: I guess I was trying to get at who creates, if there is a racial covenant or restriction, who is the author of that restriction? The owner. The owner. of So if I sell someone a piece of property at their, during the time that this was happening, I could put that restriction into the, the contract that they would— signed to buy the land you
3: put it in your deed you would put it in so it was it, it was a covenant so like um uh you familiar with an easement sadly no <laughs> so like um if there's a historic preservation easement say mm-hmm. for a big historic building like Metro Hall mm-hmm. there's a covenant running with the land no matter who owns it or how it transfers there's a covenant that stays with the land that governs. That this building, say, shouldn't be demolished or cannot be changed in some way just to make it non-historic anymore. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's an underlying, you know, restriction um, in the land records that's not governed by sales contracts or even, you know, planning commission rules. It's, um, it's a, you know. Land records are somewhat archaic, it tells, but that that's how it works. So there were covenants put in place by the owners of the property that said for anybody who was checking the public record, no, black people are not allowed to live here.
0: And so this was a practice that was the result of landowners, banks, and government officials at various levels all either actively creating this or going along with it, to restrict African Americans' access to buying property in lots of parts of town. In addition to African Americans, who were what other were there other groups also that were restricted?
3: Um, yeah, immigrants. You know, um, immigrants
0: from any country or from certain regions more than others.
3: Well, I mean, just what I've seen referenced in some of the documents: um, Irish and German immigrants. Have a long history here, um, and weren't always um, treated well in this community. Uh, certainly, um, people of the Jewish faith have not always had the latitude to live wherever they chose to live in this community.
0: But the African American restrictions were they more pervasive than those? I think of they any were
3: more country? explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were more because again. Um, most people of african american descent are easily identifiable hmm. yeah right so you can visually usually see so i think it was just um in some ways easier to to um to exclude on the basis of of race because of its visual cues and identifiers so draw the connection
0: for us between the practice of redlining in the middle of the 20th century and some of the economic challenges that we see in in Russell and other parts of the city today?
3: So that's one of the powerful elements of the Red Line in Louisville interactive map is that it translates data from 1937 and overlays that with current-day data. And so um, even though it has a long history, Redlining is still very present and current. Um, Today, it impacts everything from the price of car insurance, um, the um, ability to afford or maintain um, property insurance. Um, It affects um, uh, people's access to um, health providers, grocery stores, um, and food delivery. Uh, Gina, talk
0: about some of the things that metro government is doing to, to address the legacy of redlining in Louisville and particularly to redevelop uh, Russell and other parts of West Louisville.
3: So my biggest motivation in pursuing the, the redlining dialogue um, is while we are quite focused on changing the built environment, we are just as focused in changing minds and mindsets. So people understanding um the commonalities between West Louisville and the balance of Jefferson County is very important. Um historically, you know, there's there's the division between Ninth Street, um but then there's also um this mental distinguish dis- distinction that's made that West Louisville is somehow different. Um well, so so we're trying to encourage people number one, come to West Louisville and see for themselves. So we're a big supporter of the Kentucky Center for African American Heritage. um, And we have the PNC Gigabit Experience Center at Louisville Central Community Centers. Those are two major anchors on Old Walnut Street, or what is now known as Muhammad Ali Boulevard, um, where people can come down and experience um, what it's like to be in Russell, what it's like to be in West Louisville. Themselves, and I think they'll be pleasantly surprised um, that um, it, there's a warm, inviting, sort of interesting feel to the neighborhood because there's so much momentum um, around Vision Russell and Choice Neighborhood. So um, anyone is welcome to come and uh, hang out at the Gigabit Experience Center at 13th and and Ali, and there are lots of great um, um, activities and events that are happening at the Kentucky Center for African American Heritage. Just recently had the Neighborhood Summit um, at the Kentucky Center for African American Heritage, and it was really great to see a mix of diverse people from all across Jefferson County convening in that location and then getting um, uh, exposed to the the neighborhood history. Um, So we're always promoting the assets. Uh, We have a lot of historic properties um, in Russell and in West Louisville. That's the oldest portion of our city with the origins of the of, of Louisville itself beginning in the Portland neighborhood. So showcasing our historic assets um, after Hurricane Katrina, Louisville now has the highest concentration of shotgun houses um, of anywhere else um, in the country. And so we like to showcase that as um, you know as an asset and an opportunity for people that are interested in being a part of the redevelopment overall you know the mayor has goals for for increasing population and we really want to see a lot of that population directed into the inner city built up areas. So, you know, working with our vacant properties um, administration, you know, they've just um, uh, launched a whole new set of programs that are designed to incentivize people to buy um, vacant and underutilized properties. There are a lot of those properties um, available in the Russell neighborhood. And so we're really trying to bring together people in places in that way so they can find those opportunities. And build on them. Gina
0: Dunlap, thank you so much. Thank you. Gina Dunlap is Director of Redevelopment Strategies for Louisville Forward. If you want to see the redlining map and presentation that she talked about, there's a link to that in the show notes. This is the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I'm Graham Shelby. Our producer is Joe Lord. You can subscribe to our podcast. Through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcast. And you can keep up with the mayor on social media. He's in constant motion on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. Uh, thanks for listening. This is the Mayor Greg Fisher Podcast.